Welcome to ESG in 10, a podcast delving into the world of ESG 10 minutes at a time. We're your hosts, Charlotte O'Mara and Agnieszka Cochran, Senior ESG Specialists here at Fedante. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining us for part two of our special episode with Simon O'Connor from RIA. Let's jump back in. Continuing on the topic of stewardship, you had a very interesting speaker at the conference, Rick Alexander from the Shareholder Commons, a US NGO. He introduced a really unique perspective, stewardship for the whole portfolio. Now, before we talk about Rick's contribution to the conference, let's hear what his impressions were of Australian investors. Uh, I've been amazed at what I've seen at the RIA conference, uh, the contrast between the uptake in this market uh, with respect to principles of universal ownership and beta stewardship uh, as compared with what I've seen in the US, the UK, and really even Europe. Uh, people seem to have a real understanding uh, that it, their stewardship matters with respect not only to the particular company being stewarded, but also to the impact that company might have on the social and environmental systems uh, that undergird uh, any diversified portfolio. How did inviting Rick to the conference come about? Yeah, that was great to hear Rick's impression. Um, and I'm really, I'm really buoyed by that, actually. Um, what we're trying to do here is really progress the conversation around stewardship. Um, mm -hmm. We know that in Australia, the, the most commonly used responsible investment strategy is corporate engagement and voting, i.e. parts of stewardship. Um, and we, we see that as really a critical piece to the responsible investment puzzle if we're to drive a bigger transition of the Australian economy consistent with a 2050 net zero target and to deliver many of the other big sustainability challenges we need. Um, but we need to think quite differently around stewardship and we need to think beyond just a single entity in a portfolio. We need to think portfolio-wide, economy-wide. Um, so Rick brings quite a unique kind of perspective and challenges us to think beyond just an individual company engagement to really what are we aiming to achieve systemically or systematically with our stewardship activities. And so I think it was... Um, it was kind of a ripe time to bring him into the Australian market. Um, we've seen so much activity in the last year around engagement and voting and stewardship activities. We've seen big momentous AGMs around AGL and ownership structural changes. We've seen um, really big votes against some directors with Woodside recently. We've seen a much more sort of a much greater stepping up um, of engagement, of resolutions being put forward, of, of voting by the investor community. Rick kind of challenges to step back and say, well, we need to think beyond just a single company. We need to think about the system wide. And I think he brings a really interesting and, you know, perhaps a less traditional perspective on, on this. So as we always try to do with the conference is you're throwing some curveballs, you're throwing some left of field thinking to really challenge the audience. And I think Rick did that well, but it was pleasing to hear from him. It was, I think it's at a time where this market is really receptive to hearing about that. What are the next steps? How do we really lift and progress stewardship activities to really drive change? So it was pleasing to have him there in the mix of the conversations we held over the last um, week. Okay. So let's talk about the topic that is very much on everybody's mind, greenwashing. <laughs> uh, we mentioned it a little bit before. Um, there were two key sessions that I attended. Uh, one featured ASIC's Deputy Chair, Karen Chester, 
and the other was an investor view on the topic. Uh, before we talk about it, let's have a listen to some feedback from delegates um, on greenwashing. Uh, from day one, my key takeaway is really with the regulator, the deputy chairwoman uh, of ASIC. So I think as a potential regulator, it is very important that you know all uh, participants in the market are really true to label and they are very um, diligent in the way they are, uh, you know, constructing and portray portraying product. This has become a very polarizing topic, particularly the way in which it's being addressed by ASIC. I think this was summed up very well in the interview with the deputy chair of ASIC, Karen Chester. Uh, you are the moderator, I believe, and you said, some investors feel that ASIC's action on greenwashing has put a handbrake on responsible investment activity. Uh, and her response was, I actually think it's an accelerator because it's restoring market confidence in sustainability claims. And I think that many actually feel both sides of this. I spoke with a responsible investment manager who said, we must remember that regulation is our friend because we're doing the right thing. Uh, but wow, that was scary. Many managers who are doing the right thing are scared that they'll inadvertently fall foul of this very punitive action. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think regulation is our friend overall, net, net, right? Um, but I think we've moved very quickly from an industry that has ultimately not been regulated on our claims in responsible investment to one where a regulator is driving quite aggressive enforcement. And that's been a very sudden shift. And so it's forcing a lot of people to really very rapidly shift and ensure they are complying with the expectations of the regulator. I think the other challenge is the regulator has set out principles-based guidance here. And so whereas most investors want to know whether they are complying or not complying, principles-based guidance is not black and white in that way. So I think for many, they are nervous that while they are using best endeavours, possibly what they're doing is not sufficient from the view of ASIC. Um, and I think we tried to sort of draw that out from Karen Chester, the ASIC deputy chair there. Um, I think encouragingly, though, they are focused on the most egregious breaches of um, misleading and deceptive conduct. Um, they understand that things are not black and white. And so... I think she gave us some reassurance that as long as we're very cautious with the language, as, not, as long as we're not using absolute claims, I think this is dangerous territory, absolute claims Ooh. that we can't substantiate, um, as long as we have some evidence and substantiation for the claims we're making, we're on reasonably safe ground. That said, I think there's still some areas where it would be really helpful to have additional guidance and standards in place to make the industry feel more comfortable that they are well within sort of compliance. Um, so I think that was a great little summary. Yes, regulation is our friend. Yes, it's a little bit scary right now. I think medium term, it is going to be an accelerant for responsible investment. Short term, I think it is going to mean people will revert a little bit, but hopefully that doesn't result in sort of the innovation being quashed and slowed down entirely. I think we'll get through this pretty quickly as well. Yeah, and I think that the, the key message was having reasonable grounds for the claims that you're making. And I think the regulator is trying to give us a bit more assurance that that's their stance. I think the speech and the paper they released adds a little bit more colour to the picture. Um, yeah. She was quite pointed in terms of what is 
sufficient evidence to, for example, have a net zero claim. Um, and so I think the speech is worth reading for investors listening to this to understand what ASIC's using as their sufficient point of evidence. But yes, reasonable basis is important. I mean, we still see continually some vague or imprecise use of language. And I think the industry needs to really rapidly pull up their socks and be very clear and precise when they're stating different approaches in responsible investment. So I think they've intended to do a very clear warning shot across the bow. I think they've achieved that. Um, they've certainly got everyone's attention. Um, but it was also interesting to see Karen sort of framing this around, we know we need more capital to flow towards for example, a low carbon transition. And we want people claiming to be playing a constructive role in that to actually be the ones who are really directing capital towards that low carbon transition. So I think she's right. She sees that there's this groundswell of move in this area and she wants it to be credible. That's something we want too. Yeah, that's that's really important that there's confidence in those sustainability claims. One topic we are delving deeper on as an industry is modern slavery. Let's hear what the feedback was from those sessions. What I found particularly interesting was hearing from a representative from the United Nations about contemporary modern slavery and how the focus on human rights issues has moved beyond just forced labour and child labour indicators, but into living wages, decent work and working conditions. That was Moana Nottage from Alfinity Investment Management, talking about the broadening scope of modern slavery considerations. This is a really challenging area to do due diligence on. It's interesting as we do broaden, though, how are we going to do that as an industry dealing with this long list of issues? Um, and it's great to see something else that came out in the discussions a lot is this need to collaborate across our sector and the need to sort of use um, work with others in terms of the engagement activities. And so, for example, the PRI has set up a new human rights collective engagement called Advance, which looks at a much broader suite of human rights issues and also shines the light back on us as the investment community to also step up our own commitments around these areas and human rights due diligence being one of those. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. You can refer to the show notes for links to the documents and toolkits that we reference in today's episode. If you like this episode and want to hear more about ESG investing at Vedante, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as we will be releasing new episodes every few weeks. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to you joining us next time.